We are continuing our study in the book of 2 Corinthians. We come to the uh, last few verses of the chapter, which probably should have gone with the rest of the chapter, but uh, that's not how some of them break it up, so that's why we get these three verses. Uh, another thing is the title's terrible. Uh, it's not seeing the invisible, it's looking at the invisible, which is different. We'll get into that in just a minute. I didn't come up with the title, neither did anybody else here. Uh, just so you know, uh, but that was kind of given to us uh, with some other people who decide what to title these sections. So anyway, uh, my job, I feel, uh, in doing these types of things as we look to 2 Corinthians, number one is to explain the passage for what it means within the context of the chapter, and then the chapter, that part of the chapter, in context of the whole book. So it's important to understand what the book is about, to understand what that chapter is about, so we can understand what these verses are about. So that's my job. <coughs> we will talk about some lessons that we can take away from it, some practical application stuff, uh, types of things. I don't believe that's necessarily what I'm trying to do. I will have that in there, but my job in this, I believe, is to explain what it means. They, in Nehemiah 8, they give a sense of the reading so people can understand what they're reading. That, I believe, is my job here this evening. So, I want to point out the first thing that is being said there, which is the word, therefore. Therefore always points back to what he was talking about previously. And what he was talking about previously were all these things that were going on uh, towards Paul. They were hard-pressed on every side. They were perplexed. They were persecuted. They were struck down. None of these phased them from doing what they were supposed to be doing. And because of that, grace was being spread to all the world because of their preaching. They didn't let these things get in their way, even though all these things were going on. Now here's the context. Who was doing that? Well, the reason that Paul writes this letter, this second letter to Corinth, is because there were some who were denying his apostleship or his authority as an apostle. Specifically, that was the Judaizers and there was the beginning of the Gnostics. And we don't have time really to get into what the Gnostics were except that they believed that they had a special knowledge of God. But this was the very beginning of the Gnostic movement. Uh, really, Second Peter and Jude really deal with the, the whole Gnostic movement. But within this also are the Judaizers. Today, we would not call them Judaizers. Today, we would call them modern-day Jews. Because that's what they are. They want to take a little bit of the Old Testament, and they want to take a little bit of the New Testament, and they want to put them together. And so, they are saying Paul's not an apostle. One of the reasons they say Paul's not an apostle is because we don't follow the Old Testament. And Paul makes that very clear in the book of Galatians. He makes it very clear in the book of Ephesians. If he wrote the book of Hebrews, and there are some who believe he did, that's up for debate. But if he wrote the book of Hebrews, that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about, is the fact that we do not follow the Old Testament law. And so these Judaizers that were out there preaching this Jewish gospel, this law gospel, which those two are law, grace and law, they don't mix. So... They're out there preaching against Paul using that type of a doctrine, which is why he's hard-pressed on every side, perplexed, persecuted, and struck down. 
on top of the Gnostics that are beginning, on top of the Jews uh, that are trying to keep him from preaching the resurrection of Christ, along with all the other apostles. So that's within the chapter that he's talking about, and in the greater scope of 1 Corinthians, why the letter was written. So therefore, he says, we do not lose heart. I don't mind taking this. What I looked up, I, I tried to look up a cubby, just for DB here. Uh, so, <clears throat> I think I'm right. I think that's a cub. But anyway, you know this, what this guy's doing? There's a runner on first base, and he needs to advance him in the scoring position, and there may be zero to one out. Okay? <laughs> and to advance him, he could might be able to hit it out of the park, but instead of doing that, he's decided that he's going to bunt. And what that's going to do is that's going to put the ball right in front of the catcher. Now, the catcher has to make a choice. The guy that's on first, he's already running. So that catcher's not going to be able to throw all the way across to get to that guy, and then that guy be able to turn and turn two and get the guy out at first. So what does the catcher do? He throws it to first. So this guy's out, but he advances the runner. He's taking one for the team. It's okay because in the end they get the victory if they do that enough and it works. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's okay. We don't lose heart because grace is being spread. It doesn't really matter what's happening to me. I'll sacrifice myself. That's a sacrifice, but that's what that's called. I'll sacrifice myself for that. I'll take the out for the team so that we advance other people. That's what he is talking about doing here, which is why he's not losing heart because the gospel is still being preached. And that's all that matters to Paul. <clears throat> then he goes and talks about these two, uh, the outward man, and the inward man. I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about what he means by outward man and inward man. And it may seem like something that would be somewhat obvious to us, but the outward man is that which we see, that which we touch. The person you see in front of you, that physical part of me, that's the outward man. What's inside, it obviously, is the inward man. <clears throat> to help define these two terms, I want to look at how Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3 through 4 when he's talking about women and their apparel. Now, yes, he's talking about what they wear, but within that we also see kind of a definition or some help describing what the inward man and the outward man are. He says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. So the outward person is the one that arranges the hair Where's the gold? Puts on fine apparel. <clears throat> Just try to look good. Because that's what you see. That's the outward man. So he says, don't, don't let that be who you are. But rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. With the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Who you really are is that who is on the inside. You can be beautiful on the outside and ugly on the inside. Jesus describes those very type of people in Matthew 23. He says, outside, you are like whitened tombs. You're beautiful sepulchers is the King James word for it. A mausoleum. But inside, you know what's inside of, a, of that mausoleum? What's inside that tomb? It's bones, rottenness, worms, decaying flesh, stink. That's what it is. And he said, that's what you really are. See, the, the inner person is who we really are. 
And so that's how what he's describing here. He says the outward man is this, the inward man is this. And they're two, they're together. When they're together, we're alive. When they separate, of course, we're dead. But he said, that's why he says, as we go on, he says the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed. We all know that our bodies just are dying. I was telling Lori just today. I said, you know, I, I would like to go running. I went running last week and it hurt. It hurt my knee. Andrea looked at it. She said, you need to be stretching. I never stained stretch before. Well, I've never been 43 either. That's what happens with your body. The older you get, the more it just breaks down. And she said, we're getting old. That's what that's what it, her response was to me. You're going to have to stretch because we're getting old. You just got to look. That's just the way it is because our outward man is perishing. But he says, but the inward man is being renewed. That means strengthened. Every day God is strengthening the inner man because I'm not focused on the outer man dying. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about spiritual things. And the more I invest in spiritual things, the more the inner man is being strengthened. And the more the inner man has to look forward to something else. We can't do anything about the body perishing. We, there's nothing we can do. There is no such thing as a fountain of youth. But there is such thing as eternal life. And that's for the inner man. So we focus on the inner man. And that's what he's saying here. we got to focus on that inner man. As we, He says, I'm not worried about, we don't, I'm not losing heart. I'm not worried about all that. Because the old man's going to perish one way or the other. You know, it really doesn't matter if somebody kills him or he dies of old age. He's dying anyway. He says, I'm just going to do what I need to do and be strengthened by God and go do what He wants me to do. The inner man is being renewed or strengthened. And you might not be able to read that, but day by day, by the way, that's the only place in all Scripture that that phrase is used. And it's, it's literally day and a preposition day. They really don't even know what, what exactly it means. So they made the best of it and said day by day. We understand what day by day means. What you notice the next verse? He says, "For our light affliction." I'm here to remind you a moment what they went through. They were hard pressed on every side. Literally, you know what that means? A wine press. So he's in a wine press, being crushed by that wine press. He says, "We're hard pressed." That's light affliction. That's no big deal. Perplexed. You know what that means? To lose your mind. You don't know where to go. It, it's what we would call depression. Now, a deep depression is not in despair, which is the next part. He said, we're perplexed, perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're depressed. We take some things, but we're not completely de de depressed. We're not so depressed that it cripples us from doing what we need to do. But it's light affliction. It's no big deal. Persecuted. It means what it sounds like. Persecuted. That because of what he's preaching, in every possible way, he's being condemned for that by the court of public opinion. Prisons. I, I, I would like to get into all this. It's the next chapter. I can't do that because we're going to get into it. I don't know who's covering it, but they get the chance to talk about all the persecutions and all the, all the things that he actually went through. And then struck down, that literally means, literally means to be thrown down to the ground. All of that, and he says, ah, it's light. 
Can we get our feelings hurt if we go knock on a door and talk to them about the church and they go, no, I'm not interested in slam the door? Really? Light affliction is what he said about this. We have no idea the persecution that they went through. We got it easy. Why did he have this kind of an attitude? Why did he say we don't lose heart? Because grace is being spread. That's all that mattered to him. Because the inner man was being strengthened day by day. He says the light affliction, that's but for a moment. Think about that for just a, just a moment. It really doesn't last that long, does it? No matter what you're going through, even if you die with all that stuff that's going on, it's but for a moment. He says, but working this uh, affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. <clears throat> you see, when you compare all that stuff that's going on right now that only lasts for a moment, and then you compare that to all of eternity, that, really, that stuff is light. It really doesn't matter. It's not all that important. Your soul becomes more valuable to me when I look at things like that. My soul becomes more valuable to me when I look at things like that. We can enjoy pleasure. And we know that pleasure is but for a moment. We know that from Hebrews 11.26. That's exactly why Moses did not choose the pleasures of sin for a time when he was in Egypt. But rather he chose to suffer persecution with the people of God looking for heaven because the pleasures of sin are but for a moment hell is for eternity the flip side all the pain that we go through the persecution hard pressed perplexed all those things that all listed are but for a moment with heaven on the other side it's not much to deal with when you think about all of eternity is it it puts things in perspective and that's that's what he's trying to say. Is he said, I'm willing to do this. You question my, uh, uh, my apostleship? Why would I do what I do? Why would I go through what I go through if I'm not an apostle and I'm preaching these things from my heart and because I want grace to be spread? He's proving his apostleship by the things that he endures and says, I'm okay with doing all that. I've got something better waiting on the other side. Then he talks about the things that are seen and the things that are not seen. He says, we don't look at the things which are seen. Now, I don't think he necessarily means just what we see. What we see, what we touch, what we hear, what we taste, what we smell, all of those things. He said, well, that's not what we're looking at. That's not our focus. That's why it's not seeing the invisible. It's looking at the invisible. Because what we're focusing on, what we're looking at, are the things that are not seen. That's the inner man. That's heaven. That's God. That's what we're looking at. That's what our focus is. So all this other stuff that's going on, I can deal with all that because I've got my focus somewhere else. That's what I'm looking at. That's what he's saying. He says the things which are seen are temporary. We all know, for one, our body's going to die with the earth. It's going to be burned up. The elements in it are going to be burned up. There's going to be nothing physical left. Everything here is temporary. 
the older we get, the more real that becomes. I didn't think about that kind of stuff necessarily when I was 10 years old. I think about that stuff when I'm 43. My perspective has changed. I realize now that I've likely lived more than half of my life at the age of 43. That is a sober thought. And it makes me realize that this is temporary. They say that about the age of 40 is when people begin to really think about retirement, to really think about it. It ought to be the time we start thinking about retirement, folks. Because <laughs> this is temporary. And I'm not talking about physical retirement. I'm talking about the investment we have in heaven. That's why we look to the invisible, because those things are eternal. Things that are not seen are eternal. My soul <coughs> continues to live on. My body's going to go to the grave. My soul lives on. That's what's important. But that also means that your soul lives on. And everybody's soul lives on. Which means that we've got to go and preach the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. We're looking to things eternal because it's important that we spread the gospel. Whether we're hard-pressed or persecuted or cast down, it doesn't matter. We're going to go do it because it's worth it. In the end, it's worth it. Well, notice how Peter put it. Uh, this is heaven. But notice how Peter put it in 1 Peter 1 and verse 3. So blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I'm going to take just a little bit of time to explain a little bit of these as we go. I know this is not our text. But He has uh, begotten us again to a living hope. The hope that He's talking about here is not the hope that we usually use that word. I hope I win a million dollars. That's not that kind of hope. I'd like to win a million dollars. I won't. And that's the difference. Even if I were to play the lottery or something like that, which I don't, but even if I were, I hope I really win a million dollars. But I don't really expect to. This hope is an earnest expectation. This is a living hope, a living expectation through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's my hope. Because Jesus was risen from the dead, I expect to also be risen from the dead. That's what he's saying. That's that kind of hope. And it's through the abundant mercy, his abundant mercy, that he's begotten us to that expectation. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Notice this, the incorruptible and undefiled. Those things that are not seen are eternal. They're undefiled. They're incorruptible. And it's reserved for you. I love that word reserved. I've got a spot. That's why it's my expectation. I've got a spot in heaven because it's through His mercy He begot me. And I know that I have confidence and that expectation that He's reserved a place for me. Love that word <laughs> for that reason. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we're kept by the power of God. It's still His mercy that keeps us. It's still His power that saves us. It's not by our own works. Because that can't be done. Even as a Christian, it's not by our works. It's by His power. But it's through faith for salvation. Because I have that kind of a confidence, because I have that kind of an expectation, I live in such a way that I'm faithful to Him. I trust him and I'm going to do what he says and when that time comes 
He's going to reveal himself in that last day. He will no longer be unseen. He will be seen. Because he'll reveal himself. So he says, In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. So here we have the trials. We're going to endure trials at times. He says, But you can rejoice for those things. Why? Because of all the things we just talked about. The things that are unseen are eternal. And we have that earnest expectation through faith and through His power and through His mercy. That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus is revealed, we can give Him praise and honor and glory knowing that whatever we dealt with, we just dealt with it and we moved on and we kept serving Christ. Whom having not seen, you love. The not whom there being Jesus. But you love him anyway. We haven't seen Jesus. But we love him anyway. Well, I hope we do. We need to. And we know from John 14, if you love me, what do you do? Keep my commandments. So we do what he That's how we show our love. He says, then now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. So we ought to have joy despite what's going on. Despite what is happening to us. Whatever everybody else is doing. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's that expectation. The end of our faith, the end of our trust, the end of our confidence is the salvation of our souls. When that which is unseen is seen. It's salvation. And that's the end of it. And so that's why Paul wrote what he did and why it really didn't matter all of those things that the Judaizers were doing against him. So what are some lessons that we can learn from this? Some practical application. Number one, your flesh is dying. Quit feeding it. I don't know how... Well, I do too. I'm going to put it this way because the Bible does it for me. Romans 13 and verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The flesh is dying. Quit feeding it. Now obviously I'm not talking about not eating. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about make no provision for the flesh and to fulfill its lust. Quit feeding the sin is what I'm talking about. And sin is a bodily exercise. That's what we do with our bodies. So quit feeding it. Number two, rely on your inner man, or uh, the rely on inner man strength from God. What I mean by that? Psalm fifty-one, verse ten: Create in me a clean heart of God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Lean on God to renew you inside, day by day. Ask for Him to do that. Study your Word, the Word that is given to you. Know what it is that God wants for you, and you'll be blessed for it. You know who's going to be filled? Not those who feed the dying flesh, but Jesus said it best when He said those who hunger and thirst after righteousness will be filled. Which sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? If I'm hungry and I'm thirsty, I shouldn't get filled. Because I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. But that's the way the Word of God works. It's awesome. The more you study it, the more you want to study it. The more it leads you, the more you want to be led by it. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more you put your confidence in God and you start doing what he says, the more you go, huh, I can do this with God renewing me day by day. So let the inner man be strengthened by God. Number three, endure whatever is going on and be faithful. The church at Smyrna, do not fear any of those things which are which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The ten days there is not a literal ten days. What he means there is it's for a short amount of time. For a light affliction is but for a moment, right? He says, endure for that time. But be faithful. Even if you die, be faithful. Why? Because you'll get a crown of life. So focus on that. Which brings us to number four. Make heaven not your first priority. Your only priority. When you make it your only priority, everything else falls into place. Because I'm not feeding my dying flesh anymore. Instead, I'm focusing on the inner man and I'm making heaven my only priority. Colossians 3 verse 2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. You know why? Because if this earth is perishing this earth the things that are seen are temporary heaven and hell are eternal set your affections on things above on heavenly things so that's the message of the evening <clears throat> hope it's been encouraging to you and helpful to understanding second Corinthians chapter 4 particularly the last few verses so if you have a need of the church be strengthened. Sometimes we let our flesh get in the way, and sometimes heaven's not our only priority. The beauty of the church is that we're here to assist and help one another during those times of need. I dare say that one of the things that encouraged Paul during those times of trouble, I know so because he said it in other places, not in these verses, but other places, is knowing that there are other people who care about him who are praying for him, who want him to be strengthened and encouraged and love him. We love you. And if there's something going on, whether you're hard-pressed on every side, you're going through the wine press of work, whether you're depressed, whether you're being persecuted, or whether you just feel like you've been cast down, we're here to lift you up in prayer, to get you back up off the floor, strengthen your inner man through going to prayer with God. So if you need that, let us know by coming forward and sitting on the front as we stand and sing the song. Thanks later.